Praise the Lord. Thank you, guys. Wonderful job this morning and tonight. I'm like Brother Greg. I wouldn't mind if it's tonight. I'd much rather be in church and just fly right on home, wouldn't you? Praise the Lord. Unless you didn't come to church tonight. Preach. <laughs> I see some folks at home right now getting dressed. They're running down here right quick. So good to be in the Lord's house. I'm excited about the good music, excited about what the Lord's laid on our heart to share. I encourage you, if you would, to turn over in the Old Testament book of Malachi. Sunday night, we're going through the minor prophets. We have come to the last of our great study, and we're looking at Malachi chapter 2. We started last week in this chapter, and we began in verse number 10 tonight, and we'll conclude the chapter with preaching on the subject, Dealing Treacherously with God. That title should make us run to Jesus. I believe we'll see so much evidence of what was going on in Malachi's day, even in our day as well. Begin reading in verse number 10 of Malachi 2. If you found your place and you're able, we invite you to stand. If you're the copy of the Scriptures open, and we'll honor and reverence the reading of God's holy and errant and fallible inspired word together. The Bible says in verse 10, Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offer an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And, have, and this have you done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with goodwill at your hand. Yet you say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant? And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed, therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord... The God of Israel saith that he hateth putting away. One covereth violence with his garments, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. The Bible says in verse 17, Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet ye say, when have we wearied the Lord or wearied him? When ye say, even one or every one that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he that delighteth in them, or where is the judgment of God, or the God of judgment? Father, thank you again for the privilege and honor to proclaim the truths of your holy word. Would you help us tonight? God, would you give us liberty and unction, zeal and passion of the Holy Ghost of God to preach your word in a way you're glorified and our lives are changed. 
God, do something great in each one of us tonight. Draw us close to you and leave an indelible mark for the glory of God. And we'll give you praise as we ask it in Jesus' strong name. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Again, I want to preach on the subject of dealing treacherously with God. Now, someone said of this text that it describes to us a little trouble in paradise. <laughs> Most of us know exactly what that term means. Trouble in paradise often refers to family troubles. Oh, they're having a little trouble in paradise. It's not, not the ideal setting, you know. We'd say the use of this old expression, trouble in paradise, actually has a biblical association. The very first union of matrimony was picture perfect in every way. Think of it. The officiating minister was the prince of preachers. <laughs> the setting was the Garden of Eden, often known as paradise on earth. And every couple following that first family seeks to their marriage, their, their desire for their union to follow suit as it did in the beginning. They want everything just to be picture perfect. It's God's plan, by the way, for there to be harmony and unity, not only in the church family, but your family as well. Have you lived long to know if, if you've got trouble in your family, there's trouble in the church? You not, you not learned that? Because you bring your trouble everywhere you go. Families make up the church. Unhealthy families is an unhealthy church. Healthy families make a strong church. And so God wants unity. God wants harmony among the people of God and their church family as well as their own family. But in Malachi's day, the Lord was rebuking Israel because there was, let me use the expression again, a little trouble in paradise. And there were some serious family troubles that needed to be addressed because these troubles had people dealing treacherously with Almighty God in the areas of family and also profane words. There is a breach of covenant within the family and it caught the attention of Almighty God. And by the way, you know his character. He, he wasn't about to sweep it under the rug. He's going to deal with it like he does every sin in every individual. So tonight, my desire is to take this small text and examine it to learn how to avoid dealing treacherously with God. Just the thought of that makes chills go up and down my spine. God is a God that deserves our obedience, not our disobedience. And so as we look at this text tonight, three things you'll notice. That you're dealing treacherously with Almighty God when you sin against your members. And mark me different than this vain and arrogant world. I fear the God I serve. I fear holy God. And I don't want to deal with God treacherously. But you do. When you sin against your members. He's talking about members of the same family. Verse number 10. He said, have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us? So why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? So the problem of that day, I would encourage you to just agree with me today because you will. There was a lack then as well as today of brotherly love. We don't love one another like we ought to love one another. 
They certainly didn't of that day. And they ignored their common membership. I'm talking about they were all in union by God's sovereign choice. They had the same blood and they had the same beginning. I'm talking about the nation of Israel. They were family of the closest sense. I mean, out of that family of the world, out of all the families in the world, God chose them. He chose them to be his children and they would be his God. They were, he would be their God. God chose Israel as his own. Why? To bless them, to care for them, to protect them, to provide for them, to shine upon them. And through them, the world could see the goodness of God and be drawn to their God. Why in the world do you think he saves you? They could see the goodness of God in your life. That you could radiate the glory of God in and through you. That you could represent another king, another country, another code of ethics. Listen, this world is depressing. The direction this world is going, nobody wants to follow. There's got to be another option, and there is. There's a glorious and a grand option. Giving your life to Christ. Letting Him be your God and you being His children. And when the world sees that, they'll be drawn to Him like a moth to a flame. That's what they were. They were family. God chosen as a family. And so are we in Christ Jesus. With that being said, we should have special concern one for another's welfare in the family of God. And the trouble was in the day of Malachi, they were all ignoring one another's needs. They were not concerned about their own brothers and sisters in the family. Can I give you some scripture tonight? You might as well nod your head yes. Romans 12, 10 says, Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. 1 Peter 3, 8 says, Finally, above all things, finally, be of one mind, having compassion one for another, Love as brethren. Be pitiful and courteous. In Psalm 133, one says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And my favorite, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 1, Let brotherly love continue. There's a problem when we don't love one another. Oh, we say it. We shake hands, finally. <laughs> we embrace cautiously. We say we love one another. But do we really love one another? There was a lack of brotherly love. Can I tell you something? I won't brag on you a minute, so don't let it go to your head. That's one of the greatest draw cards we have at Chinkapin Grove Baptist Church. We're not perfect, but we love one another. That's what draws people. In a world of coldness and callousness, when people don't care if you live or die, they don't care if you don't have your next meal paid for, they don't care. There's a church. There's a group of believers. There's a family that loves one another. One of the greatest testimonies we can have is that we have love for another. Didn't Jesus say that all men will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another? Well, you're going to have problems, and you're going to have an issue with God when we do not love one another. They ignored their covenant membership. When I'm talking about they were adopted 
into the family of God. They were adopted by a covenant of love. There's no other explanations we talked about this morning that God would choose them than love. And in that covenant of love, God pledged to be their God and he, their children, they, his children, he would provide for them. As I said, he would protect them and they would prosper as long as they obeyed him. And as a family, we too have been adopted. That is the most beautiful thing that's ever happened in my life. That I've been adopted into the royal family of God. This world did not want me. I was a pilgrim and a stranger, an alien, but God loved me and adopted me into the royal family of God. Made me an heir and a joint heir with Jesus. That's love. And through that same covenant of love, we're in union with holy God into the family of God and Again, that's all through Christ. But let me tell you, it is a very grievous sin to ignore or act otherwise with our brothers and our sisters in the Lord. Ultimately, it is a sin against God. So I sometimes think, you're all going to laugh at me with this, but sometimes I told you we were a good church. still believe that. I believe there's a lot of love in this place. I still believe that. Are we perfect? No. I believe that. We got problems? I believe that. Why? Where there's people, there's problems. Is it a loving church? Absolutely. Does everybody love one another? Absolutely not. Sometimes I think we ought to get that get along t-shirt. You seen it? It's a great old big shirt. I only got two arms. One neck. It's made where you can get in there together. Get a long shirt. Some of you need to wear that for more than 24 hours with one another. Does anybody remember this? Or like when me and my sister weren't being the perfect little angels with one another. I'll stop there. You can just fill in the blanks. A fate worse than death. My mama would say, my daddy would say, go hug your sister. Tell her you love her. Oh my, I know what Baptists feel like. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? We laugh about those things because you were there too, but the sad thing is some of us never grew up. Some of us never grew up, and I would tell you that I believe with all my heart there are some here tonight that just needs to get up out of their seat and go to a brother and a sister that they have ignored. Y'all not going to let me preach at all, are you? Coming in here and you see them, you turn your head and you go the other way. I'm just going to say, I thank God I go to a big church. I can sit over here and my, my eyesight's so bad I don't even have to look at them. Because I couldn't see them if I tried. Somebody just needs to get up. I'm serious. And go and hug and make up and love a brother or sister they've not only ignored, but they've wronged. They've lied about. They've been cold and indifferent towards. Let's just say it the way it is. They've been mean. And they need to love. Why? Because when you sin against the child of God, in essence, you're sinning against the living God. You get in trouble and cause trouble to one of his children. You trouble the Lord. That's dealing treacherously with our God. By the way, that's how revivals take place. That's how 
good movements of God, they are spawned. When people swallow their sinful, stubborn pride and get up out of an altar, out of a pew or out of an altar, and come and embrace and love and say, please forgive me. I'm wrong. Jesus said that all men will know that you're my disciple if you have love one for another. Let's talk about something else. Not only you're dealing treacherous with God when you sin against members, but also when you sin in your marriage. Look at verse 11. Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which, is lo- which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. The Lord will cut off the man that doth this, the master, the scholar, out of the tabernacle of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord his host. And this have you done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears and weeping and crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with goodwill at your hand. And so you're dealing treacherous with God when you sin in your marriage. How did they sin in their marriage? By marrying the wrong spouse. Can you do that, preacher? Can you marry the wrong spouse? Well, what is our command as believers in the Scripture concerning marriage? Listen, marriage is one of the greatest decisions you'll ever make in your life outside of your decision for Christ. Please tell me that you've prayed about that decision. Please tell me you're grooming your children to pray about that decision. Please tell me you're grooming your grandchildren about praying about that decision. Because the commandment concerning marriage, God commands believers to marry believers. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what concord has Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement had the temple of God with idols? I'll never forget as a young pastor, I didn't even have a church yet. After this encounter, I didn't think I'd ever have a church. But I preached on this text and there was a woman met me at the back of the, at the church. And man, she bawled me out. Told me she didn't believe a word I said about that. She'd married a lost man and she was completely happy in her marriage, and she was glad he was doing his own thing. And I said, ma'am, boy, it's good to be barely 20s and young, dumb, and full of vinegar. And I said, ma'am, you ain't got a problem with me. You got a problem with God, and you need to get right. And I walked out to my car. I don't think I was ever invited back. But that's what God's Word says. I believe this so much with all of my heart. I believe this so much that I would even caution young people, do not even date a lost person because you are liable to fall in love with the wrong person and follow your heart instead of your head. If my office couch could talk, if my walls could talk, if I could show you and paint you a picture of a broken home and broken heart and broken children, you'd say, preach, preacher, preach, tell the truth. The Bible said they were marrying the wrong spouse. 
Also, there were some consequences we need to look at, not only the command, but the consequences. The Bible says that abomination that is joined to mixed marriages, to those who are saved, married to those who are lost, mixed marriages with saved and lost. God said they've, I didn't say this, God did. He said they have profaned the holiness of the Lord for his children to marry heathens and pagans and unbelievers who worship false gods. See, they were bringing all that into their homes. The Bible says it was profane against the holiness of God. It was an abomination unto the Lord. It was a sin against His holiness. They were in great danger of defiling themselves and breaking the first and most holiest commandment. that We should have no other gods before Him. You said, I don't see that. How? Because I promise you, if you bring it in your home, it won't be long till it's in your head, and then it'll be in your heart. Can I tell you that most every one of us could do a little house cleaning? There's things in all of our homes that defiles us, that dishonors us before the living God. Y'all looking at me like you're lost. Most time you pay for it. Monthly. Comes right into your home. What them old time preachers said to one-eyed demon. <laughs> Y'all gonna make me spell it out. Hell's box office. Sin to the max. I don't know the rest of them. There's probably more that I don't even know. Won't be long if it's in your home. It'd be in your head. It'll be in your heart. He said, don't you bring, don't you bring that stuff in. It's an abomination. So you marry somebody that's lost. You get all of that. Not just the person, but their practice. If they don't know God, their beliefs come along with all their baggage. There's a problem. We're commanded that believers marry believers. Well, I'll win them to the Lord. Preacher, I'll win them. I'm in love. They'll listen to me. I'll win them to the Lord. Let me help you here. More times than not, I've heard that and heard that and heard that, and it's not long. They come Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. They were in Sunday school. Then you don't see them in Sunday school. Then you don't see them on Wednesday night. And very rarely do you see them on Sunday morning. Who changed who? The Bible said... It's an abomination. Notice the calamity. The Bible said they're cut off from the favor of God, cut off with communion with God and the presence of the living God. Even their masters and their teachers, their scholars, the priests could form no acceptable service before the living God. The people were in a terrible, terrible fix. As we said in the book of Proverbs, as Solomon told us over and over, the way of the sinner is hard. Countless tears and wails of despair over a life of bad choices was the plight of those who were willing to rebel at the commandments of God who deal treacherously with God. You could hear a pin drop in here. But ladies and gentlemen, more often than not, when people ask me, do you perform weddings? Absolutely. If I can. 
See, there's some people who hold my same office who has no standard. I'm bound. Are y'all with me? I am bound by the word of the living God. Don't think me callous. Don't get me mean. It matters less who gets mad at me because I won't put their daughter and their son-in-law together. It matters less who gets mad at me and leaves the church concerning the doctrine of the Word of God. What matters to me that I stand before a living God one day and I'm accountable. The Bible commands, the Bible commands that believers marry believers. And so when I have that conversation, had it this week, had one say, would you marry my daughter? I said, no, I'm already married. No, I'm just kidding. I said, if I can, then you got one right across the phone. It says, what do you mean if you can? I said, ma'am, I'm not the justice of the peace. I'm a man of God and I'm bound by the word of God. If I can, I'd be honored. But if I can't, I'd be glad to share the gospel. Because my first encounter with anybody who wants to get married is the gospel. I'm not interested where they come from. I'm not wanting to just make some small talk and be social. My first objective is to know whether I can or I can't. And there's many qualifiers there. But the first and foremost is, are you saved? Because God said, what fellowship has light with darkness? Don't give me your excuses. Don't tell me how it's going to work. God said, what fellowship is there light with darkness? There's consequences and there's calamity for those who will violate willingly the commands of the living God. So let me say it one more time. If you're a young person, you're dating, be careful. I wouldn't date somebody who is not saved. Why? But I like them. Good. Win them to Jesus. Then go out with them. Be a friend. Win them to Jesus. Is there a greater friend? Then someone that share the gospel with you, win them to Jesus. Why? Because you're liable to follow your heart and not your head. The Bible goes on to tell us about, there's another calamity here. It's removing the right spouse. Verse 14 says, yet you say, wherein? I've always found that's a very dangerous position. When God says something, you said, oh yeah, Where? Who are we to question the word of God? Yet you say, wherefore? Because the Lord had been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit? And wherefore, one that he might seek a godly seed, therefore take heed to your, to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of thy youth. And so there's two sins here in your marriage. One, marrying the wrong spouse. And number two is removing the right spouse. Those who want to get rid of the wife of the covenant, the wife of their youth. That's the one that God had chosen for him. She was approved and anointed by God to be his helpmeet. Not just a helpmeet, but a companion. 
in the aged years. Just to make a little light of that, I, I've heard it said that the golden years aren't so golden. Somebody said they should have been called the rusty years. I don't know. Had one lady in this congregation said, well, I can tell you one thing about the golden years. It ain't for sissies. That may be true. But here's what I'm telling you about a wife or a husband that God gives you, the one that's been created for you, the one that's been chosen and approved and anointed by God to be your helpmeet. It is through those passing of years it should not weaken marital love, but rather it should purify it and solidify it and deepen it. And I stand before you as a witness today and I stand before God as a testimony and tell you that after 26 years of marriage, my love for Tracy now is deeper and stronger than it ever been. And that's not my doings. I figured she'd shout amen right there. That, that, that's not her doings. That's a work of the living God because we've entered into a covenant where God's the head. So God's plan for marriage is one man, one woman, one lifetime. The Lord God of Israel says, I didn't bring this up, he did. Verse 16, for the Lord God of Israel, you read it with me, saith he hateth putting away. That's divorce. For one covers violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts, therefore take heed to your spirit that you deal not treacherously. So God said that I didn't. God hates divorce. Does God hate the divorcee? No. God loves people. God hates sinful practice. Somebody should have heard me right there. God hates divorce. Why? Nobody wins. Preacher, this is right for us. Liar, 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 pants on fire. Don't come into my office and tell me that garbage. Standing behind you two broken children. We'll just pick up and move on. No, you will not. Hath he made you one? Absolutely. There's a lot of people walking around ripped apart. By the way, if you've not noticed, I'm a bit passionate about this. My wife is a product. My wife grew up in a broken home. My wife is, I just about told her age. I stopped. Smart man right here. My wife still has difficult times. I've seen this lady cry herself to sleep over the hurt and the brokenness that divorce brings. I'm not trying to be mean. Nobody wins. You tell me it's okay, and you put a seven-year-old on a plane by themselves and send them somewhere else because they can't get along. You tell me it's okay for grandparents to raise children when they should just be enjoying and spoiling your children and send them home sugared up. You tell me it's okay and everything's fine when you can't even get in the same parking lot together. It's okay, preacher. We've prayed about this. Bull. No, you haven't. You're entertaining your flesh. You're willfully sinning against the commandments of God. 
You don't put away the wife God gave you. See, I've done my homework. There in the garden, God puts together a man and a woman. I've read. I've done my homework. You know what? When he put Adam into a deep sleep and performed the first surgery, the Bible said he created Eve, you know, out of his rib. You might be surprised to know that that word means he built, handmade. See, God knows better what you need than you know yourself. That's why praying is how you get a wife. That's how praying is how you get a husband. Because I promise you, if I'd have picked out the right, if I'd have picked out the one I thought was right for me, has anybody ever looked back through a yearbook and say, "Thank God, thank God, thank God for unanswered prayers." God, I'm glad he overlooked my ignorance. And boy, was he good to me. See, if I'd have picked out someone, oh, I'd have had a blast. And I'd have come home as a young man and saying to my wife, God's called me to preach. I'm going to have to quit my job and go to school. I could have married one and said, yeah, good luck with that. While she was packing. But I had one. Said wherever he leads. We'll go. My wife said it doesn't matter if we have to sell the house. It doesn't matter if we live in a tent. My God will provide. My wife's the one that said he's taking care of me from pillar to post. If God's called us. God will provide. Let me tell you something. God knows what he's doing. And you'd be a fool. Oh, I know I'm stepping out on a limb tonight. You'd be a fool to put away the wife that God has given you. I'm I'm still in the text. The Bible teaches us that that's wrong. He said he hates it because no one wins. No one wins. The man who treacherously divorces his covenant wife The Bible says, covers his garment with violence. I'm not meaning to be mean here. I'm just stating the truth of the word of God. I'm telling you what the Bible says. That means it portrays an ideal here that divorce is like a filthy spot on a man's garment, his reputation or his life by putting away the wife that God had given him. Then we have the wisdom of God. And I'm glad because after that, you need some wisdom. The Bible says earlier in that text, he says in verse 15, that ye might seek a godly seed. I want to dwell on that just for a moment. See the wisdom of God in hooking you up with another believer has holy purpose. Not only for your joy, your satisfaction, your fulfillment, to be a helpmeet. Marriage is a wonderful thing when God is in charge of it. But there's holy and divine purpose of God's people getting together and marrying. In the wisdom of God, it's not only contentment and satisfaction and joy and all those things, but it also is to bring godly seed into the world. See, a family that is unequally yoked, a believer with an unbeliever, produces children who are in a torn situation. It creates a vast amount of confusion and problems with allegiance. 
Children grow up saying, who do I believe? Who do I follow? Do I follow my daddy's beliefs? Do I follow my mama's beliefs? Do I go to church on Sunday or do I drink beer and watch the race on Sunday? Do I go to church with my daddy or do I go shopping with my mama? We got some confused kids because there's two ideologies at the home. There's two different pair of glasses that people are looking through. And y'all are just looking at me like I've lost it. You understand what I'm saying tonight? God's wisdom is that believers marry believers because he desires to bring forth a godly seed. If I look at statistics of the world today, I have to come up with the same conclusion you do. We've not been doing it God's way. We've got a lot of confused children, but the worst part of all of that is a family that is yoked together in Christ as opposed to a family that is not yoked together in Christ. Those who are lost, those who are pagans, those who do not know God, for the most part raise children who do not know God. But those who are believers, those who are in Christ, produce, listen to me, produce a ripe opportunity for children to come to Christ Easy, without confusion. That's the wisdom of God. While you have a believer and an unbeliever, a mixed marriage produces confused children. Do I go daddy's way or do I go mama's way? Finally, we deal treacherously with God when we sin against our members. That's our brothers and sisters. We deal treacherously with God when we sin in our marriage. And thirdly, I know nobody needs to hear this one, but we deal treacherously with God when we sin with our mouths. I just want to look across the congregation. Should we just dismiss before we deal with verse 17? I think we should stay. Have ye wearied the Lord, or ye have wearied the Lord with your words? Yet you say, wherein have we wearied him? When you say, everyone that doth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them, or where is the God of judgment? They wearied the Lord with their words. How? By calling evil good. What a terrible and grievous thing it is to do. I say it's bad enough when you don't even recognize your sin. It's bad when God calls sin, sin. You read it, you hear it, and you look to the heavens and said, where? Where have we sinned? Wherefore have we done this? What have we done wrong? That's a bad day. When you don't even recognize your sin and you question the word of God. But to call your sin good is a far higher level of hypocrisy. That's what was going on in Malachi's day. And can I be so bold to tell you that's a live and well practice of our culture today. Our society is no different. We don't even frown on family neglect. Can I tell you what I've learned at Gravesides the last few years? I do Gravesides different the last few years. It's amazing when I deal with Christian families, and I don't always just do Christian Gravesides. It, you know, it'd be nice, but I don't. 
I, I officiate all kinds of services of lost and unchurched unbelievers. And I have learned, I have learned that I actually take time because I'm preaching. When a family's taking care of a loved one until they're passing to brag on that. You know, I usually say something along the lines, it's as far as we can come in this walks of life with sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so. And we are to ask our God for his hands to pick up where ours have left off. And at that point, I usually say, and I want to commend Bob and Mary, whoever, you know, for taking such good care of your mother and your mother-in-law. Man, you made dark days better. I was there. I watched you. You loved them all the way to Jesus. I should never have to say that. That should be as common as breathing air because you're family. Not this day and age. What I just told you is pretty rare. Most of the time, most of the time, they're pawned off on whoever will take care of them. Put them in an old folks home and never visit them. Never call, never check. Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. Come follow me around. It's crazy. We don't even frown at family neglect anymore. People care more about partying than they do clothing and feeding their own children. Go to school without any resources because we're going to the Bristol race. And what pagan does that on Easter Sunday? Sorry, that was going to come out. That was going to come out. That was going to come out probably two or three more times. Don't you even think about supporting it. Because they called some artist I've never even heard of go over there and make it churchy to settle you people down. Fake attempt. I have no respect. I, I don't care. I have no respect for the artists that would go. They're not artists in my book. <gasps> Preacher, do you know who those are before you come to me? I don't know who they are. I don't listen to that. If it's not 50 years ago music, I don't even know what it is. I'm an old man in a young man's body. But we don't even bat an eye at it. Talk to me. We don't bat an eye at it. Preacher, what's wrong with you? No. What's wrong with you? God says it's sin. Preacher, come on. No, you come on. You're looking to God and say, what's wrong? Where did we sin? It's a bad day when you don't even recognize what we're doing is wrong. Family neglect. Think about it. I'm not finished. We encourage divorce. Promote divorce. Tracy had a co-worker who's been married more times than I got fingers and toes. Got married again and Tracy said, well, you reckon this is going to work? She said, who cares if it doesn't? That's our culture. That's our society. Did I talk about shacking up? Can I talk about multiple partners? Can I talk about what our society says that abortion, euthanasia, homosexuality, transgender garbage, all of that stuff is good? Why God calls it evil? Are you kidding me? And we're getting ready to see a new Supreme Court justice that don't even know she's a woman? Abby's such a scholar. 
She said, I'd like to ask her, did you have babies or not? That's a high five moment right there. And we're laughing. And she'll be in office until she dies. We never bat an eye at it. God calls it evil, we call it legal. We're good at doing so. Our society has certainly wearied the Lord with our words. Would you not agree? By trying to claim God's blessing in your sin, you've wearied the Lord. Man sickens God and wearies Him when we pretend that God is blessing our unholy unions. He is not. Our wicked practices against the church, against the family of God, against our own family. Don't you ever claim any of that garbage is God's will for your life. Don't you ever say that God is blessing you for that. When you're living in sin, nothing could be further from the truth. Not God's blessing, God's wrath. I'm tired of people coming to me and they have their own story. They've laid it all out and said, but doesn't God want me to be happy? No. God wants you to be holy. And then when God's people become holy, they get happy. Because you can't be saved and enjoy sin. Then finally, by questioning God's wrath, in other words, they were saying, well, where's the God of judgment? If we're getting by with it, it must be okay then. Do you not think that raises God's dander just a hair? <laughs> Don't you think that kindles his fire, well, if we're getting by with it, it must be all right. Where's the judgment of God? No doubt our words weary the Lord, but it also invokes his wrath because as R.G. Lee used to preach, and I believe it to all my heart, there's a payday coming someday. God is patient. God is long-suffering and full of forbearance because he's not willing that any perish but all come to repentance. But those who do not will find out there's a payday coming sooner than later. God will never sweep it under the rug. It will all be remembered in that great and full day of retribution. And so I'd say as we were taught in children's church to sing, oh, be careful, little mouths, what you say. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Why? Because there's a listening ear and a recording angel in heaven. And so tonight as we close, I want us to learn these truths and to vow before the living God to do whatever it takes to bring unity and harmony to our families and to the family of God. So God help me to guard myself. I need the Spirit of God to guard me and our members. I need the Lord, I promise you, I need the Lord to guard my marriage. God would love for Trace in my marriage to be dissolved and destroyed. Have you ever thought about the implications of that? I need you to pray for our marriage. Our marriage will be destroyed tomorrow. I'm finished. Now, there's a lot that said, well, I'm not finished. I'll keep going. No, I'm finished. I still believe the book. Now, you can get mad at me if you want to. I believe the book. I need God to guard my marriage. I know enough about me. I'm not going to drag Trace into this. I know enough about me. If it weren't for God guarding my marriage, I wouldn't have made it a month. God's been faithful for over 26 years. I need God to guard our membership. I need God to guard our marriages. And I need God to guard my mouth. I need Him to guard my mouth. 
by the commandments of the living God. Help me be obedient. Because where there is sin in my family, in your family, there's sin in the church. You said you said that earlier, and I just don't believe that. Well, let me just turn back to the first 10 that I read to you that says, Do we not all have one Father? <laughs> Has God not created all of us? So let me ask a question, and I'm going to pray. Who needs to come and seek the Lord's forgiveness and help in one or all of these areas? You know what I've got to say tonight is encouraging? You might have messed up in one or many of these areas or all of them. But I've got good news. God doesn't throw the pieces away. You just need to get back in the potter's hands on the potter's wheel and allow him add a little water to the Holy Spirit of God and just mold you and make you into an image and a vessel that he can use. So maybe you've messed up. Who among us has not? Come to Jesus. Ask forgiveness and seek some help. I wonder who here tonight needs to come and ask God to guard their mouth or their marriage. Who here tonight just maybe need to come to an altar and then go back to somebody else's seat, not yours. Extend a hand, hug a neck, say, I'm sorry. That person may be oblivious or they may know full well. That doesn't matter. What matters, you know. Seek God's forgiveness. Seek their forgiveness. Be reconciled to God and one another. And I believe with all my heart we could see things around here we've never seen before. Who needs to come? Father, thank you again for the privilege and honor to share the truths of your word. Lord, I ask that you would help us. We live in a dark place. We live in a society that's turned its back upon you, a culture that seems like they do not care. Help us to stand. Help us to stand with strong conviction on the true word of God. Help us to be a light in a dark place. God, help us to be clean before you. I pray, Lord, tonight, if there's anyone that needs to come and find some help in you, they'll come. Lord, give us the faith to respond as you call. Lord, do a great work, and we promise to give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.